If you have your Bible today, I want to invite you to take it now and open it up to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 is where we're going to be. So if you're joining us today for the first time, this is week 22 in our study through the book of Acts, which is likely going to be about a 60-week study. And so we are just about one-third of the way into our study. Um, Today we're going to be covering the entire uh, uh, chapter Uh, chapter 10, which has 48 verses in it. So we're going to be covering this large amount of verses because it's all one story that makes one point. And the one main point from this story that I want you to understand and leave here believing today is this. Hear me. There is no ethnic discrimination in God's gospel of salvation. There is no ethnic discrimination in God's gospel of salvation. That's the main idea from this text, and we're going to see how it plays out as we work through these 48 verses. I just want to teach my way down through this, making several observations, and then we will wrap up with three takeaway questions for you, personal application to consider. And I just want to reiterate, the reason why we take our time to teach through and then bring the application in at the end is because we really can't apply scripture that we don't properly understand. We will misapply scripture if we misunderstand scripture. That's why we want to take our, way, our time and work through this this way. And so we'll ask you those three takeaway questions at the end. And all of those questions will again tie into the main idea, which is this. There is no ethnic discrimination in God's gospel of salvation. So let's jump into verse 1 of chapter 10. Um, actually, before we do that, let me just take a minute and set the stage here. Remember the basics. In chapter 1 of the book of Acts, we saw that Jesus commissioned his disciples to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and then out to the ends of the earth. So Jesus says that his gospel, his message is going to start with the Jews in Jerusalem and then go outward from there. And so in chapters 1 through 7, we have focused on the ministry of the disciples to the Jews in and around Jerusalem. We got to chapter 8 and 9, and we've seen them take the message out to Judea and Samaria, and now the gospel is spreading out. If you remember, last week we ended chapter 9 with Peter raising a woman named Tabitha from the dead. She was from a place called Joppa, which is outside of Jerusalem. It is on the uh, eastern coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Um, It says that Peter after he raised her from the dead, stayed there and lived with a man named Simon the Tanner. And if you were here last Sunday, you know that I mentioned at the end of my sermon that, you know, that little detail about Peter staying with Simon the Tanner is more important than we might uh, initially understand it to be. And the reason why is because it hints at the bigger picture that's about to be um, shown here in Acts chapter 10. Because here's the thing, what we have to remember is that Peter was a Jew. Jews had cleanliness laws that restricted them um, from spending too much time around dead animals and carcasses. And so here's the thing. He's staying with a guy named Simon the Tanner. What does a tanner do? A tanner uses the skin of dead animals to make leather goods and leather supplies. And so Jews did not find it... um, you know, very uh, likable to be in and around the presence of tanners. So for example, tanners in Jewish, many Jewish communities were required to live 50 cubits outside of the Jewish town. 
They treated them kind of like lepers, like outside of, this, of the community is where they belonged. If, uh, if a woman, young woman found out that her parents had arranged for her to be married to a man who was a tanner, she had freedom according to Jewish uh, custom to break that engagement and to call that wedding off. So Jews didn't think too highly of being around tanners. Yet um, at the end of chapter 9, Peter is living in the home of Simon the tanner. And that is significant because God, we see that God is starting to open up Peter, who was a Jew, opening up his heart to the types of people that the Jewish community would have typically avoided. So Peter is warming up to that idea that there is no ethnic discrimination in God's gospel of salvation. Now we're going to see it all the more explicitly here in chapter 10. So let's pick up in chapter 10, verse 1. Verse 1 says, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius. Um, let's remember where Caesarea is. If you remember last week, um, I showed you on the map that Caesarea is on the eastern coast of the Mediterranean Sea, about 30 miles north of a city called Joppa, um, about 35 miles northwest of, a, uh, of Jerusalem. And so the gospel is going out from Jerusalem to the regions of Judea and Samaria. That's what's going on here. So at Caesarea... There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. So here we get introduced to one of the main characters in our story today. His name is Cornelius. He's a centurion. A centurion was an officer in the Roman army, normally in charge of around 100 soldiers. Um, And it says that he was leading um, a group that was known as the Italian cohort, which means that his soldiers had come to Caesarea uh, from Italy, likely from Rome. And so if we think about it in today's terms, we would really have to see that Cornelius and his men were kind of like soldiers on a deployment, right? They were temporarily serving in a place that they were not from. And so verse 2 tells us more about Cornelius. It says, verse 2 says that he was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. And so When the scripture says that Cornelius was a devout man, here's what it means. It means that Cornelius had become a believer in the God of the Jews, but had not yet officially converted to Judaism. Um, In other words, he he didn't receive a circumcision. He was not baptized into the Jewish community as a proselyte. He was not able to participate in temple rituals, temple sacrifices, those types of things. Nevertheless, he still tried to honor the God of the Jews by praying and giving money to the poor in the Jewish communities where he was. And so it says that he led his household to do the same. Verse 3 tells us what happens to Cornelius. It says, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. So here what we have is Cornelius having this moment where he's praying and and he's terrified because he has a personal encounter with an angel of the Lord. And the angel says that his prayers have been heard and uh, his alms have ascended and that they have made their way to God, which immediately should bring to our minds, if we've studied the Old Testament, um, it should bring to our minds the Jewish sacrificial system. And how they would make sacrifices and burn them on altars. And and the scripture talks about how the smoke and the fragrance would make its way uh, up to the Lord. But here's what I want you to see. Only Jews were allowed to participate in those things. 
right? Not Gentiles. Yet here is Cornelius, a Roman Gentile, and it says that his prayers and his alms have made their way to the Lord, similar as a Jewish uh, sacrifice. So this is all going to tie in to the big story. So let's see what happens next. Verse 5, the angel says to him, And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel spoke to him and had departed, he called two of his servants, a devout soldier. He called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Right? So he has this encounter with the angel of the Lord. He brings his servants together, tells them what happened. And then he sends these two servants along with another devout um, Roman soldier And he sends them to find Peter who is staying at Simon the Tanner's house. So what do we see? Cornelius has this encounter uh, with the Lord, with an angel of the Lord. Unique spiritual encounter in Caesarea. What we're going to see now is that Peter has a similar encounter down in Joppa. So it says this in verse 9. The next day... As they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And so in this vision, this is very unique, right? You see this, this blanket, uh, a sheet. It's coming down from heaven out of the sky, and it's full of all kinds of animals, and Peter's told to not only kill them, but to eat them. And I want you to know, like, this would have totally, totally caught Peter the Jew off guard. Because here's the thing. He could only eat some kinds of animals. He was not allowed to eat all kinds of animals, uh, Jews who followed the dietary laws, they were not allowed to eat animals from animals like pigs. Um, they weren't allowed to eat meat from certain birds. They certainly weren't allowed to eat the meat of reptiles. And you can read all about these dietary laws in Leviticus chapter 11 if you want to read the full list. But Peter sees all kinds of animals and he's told to kill and eat them. So, of course, makes sense why Peter re- would respond the way he does in verse 14. Verse 14 says, but Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So here's this vision that Peter's having. God is making clean what was considered unclean. This would have been new to Peter. It would have been surprising to Peter because Peter was a Christian, but he had this strong Jewish background, and it, it happened three times. So Peter isn't confused, you know. He, he, he doesn't need to think to himself, oh, man, you know, I just had some bad pizza, no pepperoni, of course, and had a bad dream here, you know what I mean? Like, he's... He knows after three times, this is a message from the Lord. God is telling him that some things which would have been considered historically unclean or off limits or to be avoided, they they should no longer be considered that way. So after this vision is over, Peter um, starts thinking about what does this really mean? So look at verse 17. 
Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Get it? Three men, three times he saw the vision. No coincidence there. So the angel says, Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So these visions end, right, with this sheet that has come down three times. It was sended back to heaven for the third time. Peter's perplexed. What does this mean? And at that exact moment where he's trying to consider what it means, at that exact moment, who shows up at the gate? The Gentile, unclean men from Cornelius, right? These, these Roman Gentiles show up, and God says, Peter, you need to go with these guys. So verse 21, Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you were looking for. What is the reason for your coming? So imagine being Peter. He he knows what he's seen. He knows what he's heard from the Lord that he should go with them. But he goes to meet these men and he's like, you know, you got to tell me, guys, what, what'd you come here for? You know, and uh, he knows that the Lord has says that you should accompany them without hesitation, but he still doesn't exactly know why. And so verse 22 says that they said to him, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he, Peter, invited them, the the three Roman men, to be his guests. Um, And so they stayed with him there at the the house of Simon uh, the Tanner. And so this, guys, I just want you to understand, like it's kind of normal for us. It doesn't seem that strange, but this would have been totally strange in the culture of the Jews. They, they would not have associated with Roman Gentile men. They certainly wouldn't have welcomed them into their home. Doing so would have made them and the, the people in their household unclean, according to Jewish laws. But what was the whole point of the vision that God had given Peter? He's saying, don't take what I'm making clean and call it unclean anymore. Don't do that. So Peter welcomes these men in. It says in verse 23 that the next day he rose and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. So Peter, you know, didn't want to just go by himself. Might have been a little nervous about what was going on. Maybe he wanted some witnesses to come with him to see and experience what the Lord was going to do there. Who knows? But it says that um, these Jewish men accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. So we get the sense that Cornelius back in Caesarea was eager and awaiting and anticipating Peter's arrival from Joppa. And so he got his family and his close friends together. And I don't know about you, but I just think to myself, this would have been an interesting meeting. It's like Clash of the Titans. Cornelius the soldier, Peter the leading apostle. They, Peter's got his Jews, Cornelius has his Gentiles. What's about to go down? You know. So here's what happens. It's totally unexpected. Verse 25. When Peter entered... Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up for I too am a man. So let's just pause right there for a second because things like this keep coming up in the book of Acts. Um, If you remember back in Acts chapter uh, three, Peter heals the, the lame man who was hanging out outside the temple. 
And after he healed him, the people were like revering Peter and like hold him in this high regard. But he says to those people, don't look at us as if we have special power and piety. He says, Jesus Christ has healed this man, not me. In Acts chapter 5, the people were, were holding Peter in such high regard that they thought even Peter's shadow can, can heal people, and Peter kept pointing people to Christ. And here again in Acts chapter 10, we've got the same thing going on. Peter says, I'm just a man. Don't bow down and worship me. This is going to happen again in the book of Acts chapter 14 and other places. But the, the point is this, guys, is that for all of us who are in Christian leadership, this is a, a good reminder for us, you know? Even the guys that just came up on stage and were installed as elders and deacons in our church. Guys, leaders, even the best ones like, like Peter and Paul, we are just men, right? We are just men. God deserves all glory for whatever he does in and among his people. The glory does not belong to us. So a little side reminder for us. Let's keep that in mind. It says that Peter did not want Cornelius and his friends to worship him because he was a man. Verse 27 says that as he talked uh, with him, he went in and found many persons gathered, and he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them, why you sent for me? So Peter still not exactly sure why Cornelius wanted him to come. All he knew was that God told him, hey, don't, don't be concerned with disassociating from people anymore. Don't, don't think of people as unclean when I'm making them clean. And so Peter's doing what God called him to do, even though it was against the popular religious culture of his day, he knew that he needs to uh, not regard certain groups of people um, based off their ethnicity or background as being common or unclean. And this is the truth, guys. This is the truth that becomes clear and will be evident as we move through the rest of this story. Guys, racial and ethnic prejudice is absolutely unacceptable among God's people. As one of my favorite preachers says, you're either going to say amen or you're going to say ouch. Okay? Racial and ethnic prejudice is absolutely unacceptable among God's people. And I want you to catch here, who's the one who had to grow in that area in this story? Peter. Peter, who was obviously a disciple, obviously born again. Peter, who had been in ministry, preaching the gospel, seeing conversions. My point is that you can be uh, a Christian, a pretty mature Christian following the Lord for a long time and still need this problem worked out of your life. There is no ethnic discrimination in God's gospel of salvation. So Peter goes to this group of non-Jews and he says, why did you send for me? And Cornelius said this, verse 30, four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms have re been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. 
So Peter wants to know why they invited him, and they basically said, hey, Peter, come preach. And so preachers like Peter and me, like, that's just the invitation we're looking for. Like, boom, let's go. And so it says in verse 34 that Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now, I want to take a little bit of a sidebar off of this sermon and clarify something that I think might be a roadblock that some people might need help getting over. Some of you might be thinking, wait a minute, is Peter teaching salvation by works here? Because he says that anyone who does what is right is acceptable to God. Is that, is that works-based salvation? What is that? So the question becomes, what does Peter mean when he says acceptable? I want to share two thoughts with you on this, and I hope it helps you. The first thought is this. The word acceptable does not mean saved. The word acceptable does not mean saved. We know this because, as we will see in the rest of the story, Cornelius may have been a good man, a devout man, And even referred to as acceptable here, but he still needed someone like Peter to come and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. Because he was not yet forgiven of his sins. He was not yet indwelt with the Holy Spirit. In other words, uh, even if Cornelius was acceptable, he wasn't yet saved. So acceptable doesn't mean saved. That's the first thought. The second thought is this. Acceptable does mean not unacceptable. Okay, as simple as that sounds. But remember the big context of this passage. This whole passage has been about God removing Peter's thoughts about who's unacceptable. Peter and the Jewish culture were ingrained with this idea that some people were unacceptable to God. They would always be unclean because they weren't Jews. So any non-Jews, any Gentiles, any Romans like Cornelius and his friends and family, Peter would have thought that they were unacceptable and unclean And so Peter says in verse 35, God has shown me that people in any nation who fear him and do right are acceptable, meaning that they're not off limits to God anymore. They're not off limits to God. I don't need to view them that way anymore. So acceptable does not mean saved, but it does mean not unacceptable. And I want you to really understand that because if you don't understand that, you'll, you'll misquote this verse and think of it as works-based salvation, which it's not. Peter is saying that being accepted by God is, is not, it does not hinge on your nationality or your ethnicity. People from any tribe, tongue, or nation can come to God, not just the Jews. It starts with fearing God. It starts with understanding that there is wrong and that there is right and you want to do right in the eyes of God. And that's the manner by which God reveals to us our sin, our offenses to him, and the reason why he sent Jesus, which was to forgive us of the sins that we've committed. Therefore, any people from any nation can come to understand that and be forgiven of their sins. God shows no partiality in that regard. Why? Because there's no ethnic discrimination in God's gospel of salvation. Now for these next several verses, verse 36 and following, Peter goes on to share how the good news of the gospel was proclaimed in Israel to the Jews, but that it is readily available for all people. So pick up in verse 36. So Peter says, 
As for the word of the Lord that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of who? All, not just Jews. He says, Peter says, you, Cornelius, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, right? So he's saying, you've heard about this stuff, Cornelius, your friends, your family, you've heard about Jesus, what he did, what other people did to him, you know these things. And then he goes on to summarize them, starting in verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we, the disciples, the apostles, we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. In other words, we saw the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. We saw the resurrection. He wasn't just a ghost. He wasn't just a phantom. He, he actually had a body that could eat and drink food. And we did that with him on the beach, right? This is what Peter's saying. And now he's saying that that resurrected Christ, verse 42, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one anointed by God to be what? Judge of the living and the dead. Now listen to me right now, everybody in this room. I want you to hear this. I know that it is popular in our culture to embrace or to be told this idea that Jesus doesn't judge. I want you to hear it from me. It is the message of the Bible. It is the message of Jesus Christ himself that he will indeed judge. We will one day each stand before him in judgment. Our lives will be called to account and we will either be accepted by him or rejected by him. It'll either be heaven or hell. He'll either say, you know, well done, enter into my joy, or depart from me, I never knew you. These are the judgments that the Lord Jesus will make. He will judge every person. He will judge me, and he will judge you, and he will judge everyone that we know. And just as he shows no partiality about who can be saved, he shows no partiality about who will be judged. So we need to be ready. We need to be ready. Our sins need to be forgiven. How does that happen? How do our sins get forgiven so that we have no condemnation in Jesus' judgment? Verse 43, Peter says to Cornelius, to him, talking about Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Church family, that is the good news of the gospel. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. It's a simple gospel message. It's not that complicated. You're a sinner. You know you're going to die. Jesus is going to judge you. How do you get saved from judgment to hell and separation from God? How do You believe in Jesus and call upon his name for the forgiveness of your sins. You'll be saved. When you receive that gift, your sins are forgiven. Heaven is secure for you. And you become one of God's people. So imagine all these non-Jews in Cornelius' house hearing this message of Jesus and forgiveness of sins. And after hearing this good news, this message of good news, verse 44 shows us their response. And it says this in verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, 
the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Right? Remember, they, they thought God's Holy Spirit only comes to the Jews. Now they're, they're seeing Gentiles are receiving the Holy Spirit too. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain for some days. So guys, what do we have in this text? Peter's preaching the simple message. It doesn't seem to be this fire and brimstone and passionate sermon like he's preached to the Jewish crowds in the past in chapter 4 and other chapters of Acts. This just seems a simple message. And while he's preaching, the Holy Spirit falls. The Holy Spirit comes. And these Gentiles are receiving the Holy Spirit and responding to the gospel message. What's happening here? The gospel is going forward. Jerusalem, Judea, the ends of the earth. In Acts chapter 2, it was the Jews that received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Acts chapter 8, it was the Samaritans who received the Holy Spirit. Here in Acts chapter 10, now we have Gentiles receiving the Holy Spirit. You see how the gospel just keeps going out and out and out? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Guys, in this text, it is just so clear. Salvation is for both Jews and Gentiles. Throughout church history, salvation has gone out to the ends of the earth. And in the end, salvation will be for people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. So the point of this text, and many other texts throughout the New Testament, is this that there is no ethnic discrimination when it comes to God's gospel of salvation. People everywhere can be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So I want to close today by asking you three takeaway questions to consider. How does this apply to us? Three questions for each of us to consider today. First one is this. Have you believed in the good news of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ? Have you believed in the good news that there is salvation for you through faith in Jesus Christ? Have you believed that, really? Because in our story, who do we have? We have Cornelius, who was a good guy, a devout man, religious. He prayed. He gave to the poor. He feared God, even. He prayed, but he was not saved. He still needed to believe upon Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of his sins. And guys, the same is true for everybody in this room. Your salvation is not dependent upon you being a good, devout, generous, uh, uh, God-fearing person. You must believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. If any of those good works could save you, then Jesus would not have had to come and die on the cross for sin. You could just be saved by good works. So why did God send Jesus? For the forgiveness of our sin. God sent Jesus to die on the cross in our place, to pay for our sins. And God raised him from the dead to show that through Jesus, we can have victory over sin and death in the grave. If you believe that, you will have forgiveness of sin. You will have victory over death in the grave by having eternal life with God forever. So have you believed? I am not asking you how long you've gone to church. I'm not asking you how, how much you pray. I'm, asking, I'm not asking how religious you are. I'm asking, have you trusted in Jesus? 
If you've never trusted in Jesus, I hope you do so today. You have no reason not to. What what would be holding you back? But the way that that faith in Jesus is made public over and over throughout Scripture is the way that that faith is shown is that the first act of public display of faith in Jesus is the act of baptism. And so if you are somebody who has believed in Jesus as your Savior, maybe you believe in Him today as your Savior for the first time, or maybe you believed years ago, but you have never been baptized in water, I really want to encourage you today to obey the Lord and take that step of baptism. If you want to be baptized, we'd love to talk to you about that. On the chairs in front of you, there are connection cards. And on those connection cards, there's a place for you to fill out your contact information and to check a little box that says, I'm interested in baptism. If you fill that out, we'd love to talk with you about being baptized. And we'd love to celebrate your baptism with you uh, someday very soon. So that's the first question. Have you trusted in Jesus for your salvation? Here's the second question, everybody in this room. Is there any disdain in your heart for people with a different ethnicity than you? Is there any disdain in your heart for people with a different ethnicity than you? Guys, this text could not be more clear. God does not see people as unclean or avoidable or um, kind of to be uh, looked down upon simply because of their ethnicity, their skin color, their background. God doesn't view people that way, and we shouldn't either. Peter needed to learn that lesson. Some of us may need to learn it too. There is no place for ethnic bigotry or supremacy or prejudice among God's people. So listen, if Peter showed up today, if Peter showed up today and he was giving us this message for the first time, it might sound something like this. When it comes to being right with God, none of us in this room are acceptable because we are American. None of us in this room are acceptable because we are American or any other nationality. Because nationality does not determine your spirituality. That's the message here. When it comes to being right with God, none of us in this room are right because we're white or because we're brown or yellow or any other skin color that we may have in this room. I know that most of us understand that. But listen, uh, I think I would be naive if I was under the impression that nobody in this room ever struggled with racial, racist tendencies. We probably do. Some of us probably do. And what are we learning from this passage? There's no place for it among the people of God. Here's the good news of the gospel. God changed Peter's heart. God ch- and he can change yours. If you see in your heart today, you know what, if I'm honest, I have... I discriminate in my heart against people. I'm telling you, God can change you. He can change you. Because I think we all need to remember the basics of what do we have in common. Guys, we all have the same grandparents. We all came from Adam, Noah, you know. We all have the same great-grandparents. We all have the same blood. We are all created in the image of God. We are all loved by the same God who sent Jesus. And we will all be represented in the same eternal kingdom if we've believed upon Christ. So is there any disdain in your heart for someone with a different ethnic background than you oh if the lord shows that to you repent of that the lord will change you and he will give you his heart which is a heart for people of all nations last question for you to consider those of you who are believers will you ask god to send you to someone who needs to hear the good news 
Will you ask God to send you? In this text, Peter was the Christian. Cornelius wasn't. Cornelius uh, had God, you know, uh, you know, send someone to him. But Peter, you know, had God send him out to someone else. So will you pray saying, Lord, send me out? Not bring someone to me, but Lord, will you send me out? Who do you want me to go to? Because people can't believe in a Jesus of whom they've never heard. And how are they going to hear unless someone tells them the gospel of Jesus Christ must be proclaimed in order for it to be heard? And so in our text, someone had to tell Cornelius. And I want, you know what else I, what occurred to me as I was studying? Here's the thing. You know who could have told, you know who God could have had tell Cornelius? He could have had the angel tell him. But God, in his sovereignty, has chosen to have people tell people about Jesus. So God called Peter to be the one who go, who went and told the message. I just want to share an encouraging word with you. Church family, we just had three uh, people from our church who just got back last week from a mission trip in Uganda. On that mission trip in Uganda, almost 300 people made professions of faith. 300. Guys, like Cornelius, the people in Uganda were prepared to hear. And like Peter, our missions team members were sent by God to share. So church family, let's ask God to send us to people who are ready to hear. No matter where they're from, whether it's across the street or across the ocean. No matter who they are, even if they come from an ethnic background that we in our past have disliked, Let's ask God to send us to people who are ready to hear because there is no ethnic discrimination in God's gospel of salvation, right? Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for how it challenges our hearts and encourages our hearts. It both cuts us open and comforts us well. And so, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this part of your word. Lord, I want to pray for anybody in this room today who may be like Cornelius, religious to some extent, even here at church today, but has never trusted Christ. I pray today that they, after hearing this message of Jesus, would believe and be saved and be baptized. I pray, Lord, for anybody in this room who has racial prejudice, ethnic disdain in their hearts, Lord, I pray that you would reveal it and that they would repent and get their hearts right with you. I pray, Lord, that you would Make our church one that is, has a heart for the nations, a church that has your heart for the nations, so that we would be a going church, a sending church, that we would be willing to go wherever you call us to go for the sake of the gospel. Thank you, Lord, that in history past, you raised up somebody to understand that the gospel wasn't just for the Jews, and you took it outside of Jerusalem, and you brought it to the ends of the earth, even unto America where we can hear. Now, Lord, as you've raised up goers and senders in the past, Lord, would you make UBC a going and sending church that we may be your witnesses to the ends of the earth until all nations have heard the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.